Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on December the 16th, 2011. For newcomers, you should help yourself to the website CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. You'll find hundreds and hundreds of audios to download for free. And I try and chronicle the stages of the, this big global system as we go through it into the big global plan. And I show you the history and some of the big players behind uh, the setting up of this system. You'll find it's not democratic. It was never really announced to the public. And how we've all been guided along generation by generation and, and trained actually to accept it when it really comes into full force, which is almost here actually. So help yourself to the audios. And remember, too, all the sites listed on the comm site have uh, audios for download. If you find sticking on one, try another. A lot of folk go into the comm at the same time, and there's thousands and thousands do that. So sometimes it sticks a little bit. Try these other ones listed on the comm sites. Uh, they all carry transcripts in English for print up as well of the talks. And if you want to go into other languages, try the selection offered at alanwattsentinel.eu. Remember, too, you are the audience that bring me to you. You can help me carry on by buying the books and discs I have at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website. And from the U.S. to Canada, you can still use personal check. Some people send cash. Uh, you can use PayPal. Um, you can also use an international postal money order from the post office. Same price as an ordinary, regular, regular post of, uh, postal order, but it's an international one that you ask for. Across the world, you've got Western Union and MoneyGram and PayPal once again, and straight donations are tremendously welcome, especially at this time as I'm trying to keep up with equipment, etc. Now, as I say, I try and chronicle the events as we go through them. I fill in the parts which the media tends to omit. The media is all owned, remember, by, yeah, you've got a few media barons, but they all belong to one organization. They're all on board with the agenda, and they make sure that all news is standardized across the board, across the whole world, in fact. So I show you uh, why they're heading in this direction and that direction on different issues and fill in the blanks which the media omits. That's how you're guided to conclusions. It's generally by omission of all the rest of the facts, you see, and you're left with... Uh, what you think are all there is to know, and you come to the desired conclusions that your masters want. So that's how it's been for an awful long time, in fact. And as I mentioned on an earlier show on, on, on John Stadmore's show tonight, uh, that uh, Jack C. Lull is an excellent source on propaganda if you want to see how it works, why it works on the individual, on the masses, and the techniques that are used, uh, you should definitely read Elul's works on them too. He's done some good work on law and various other things as well. Uh, all excellent reads, so I'd highly recommend them. And you can get a lot of second-hand books out there for, for a couple of bucks, quite cheap. Now, as I say, we're going into this world order. We're in it, actually. And I've mentioned too earlier tonight that uh, the Council on Foreign Relations is the big organization 
that all the media barns belong to. And another one, too, is just a, a, a more precise part of it, a more specialized part, is the Trilateral Commission. All designed a long time ago to bring in a world government, uh, a non-democratic world government, and all they had to do over a few generations was to destroy all the things that stood in their way, such as the family unit, uh, natural communities, things like that, even natural societies across nations. That had to be destroyed. It's been pretty well done. And they train you towards world government by lots and lots of propaganda, international stories, and, and so on. But we find that it's never ending. And the Council on Foreign Relations, as I say, they, as Carl Quigley says, they have all their authors working in the think tanks and working in the media at the same time, all the big papers. And I'll talk about that when I come back and show you how it's specialized for each group. Back with more after this break. I'm Alan Watt. We're back cutting through the matrix and talking about the Council on Foreign Relations for one organization that really runs the whole world now. They run all the media. And uh, you'll find from the expert list that I put out yesterday, I might put it up again tonight, that uh, all the, the reporters within the big think tanks at the Council on Foreign Relations are also reporters in the major magazines, major newspapers, and so on, to make sure that we all get the point and get the right propaganda. And, uh, and they've done an awfully good job of it. But they do target the decision makers and quickly touched upon that. They put special magazines, highbrow uh, magazines out for the decision makers around Washington, D.C. and London and different places to make sure that they also get the, their marching orders. And that's really how it works. It's very, very simple. But as I mentioned before, they have hundreds of think tanks working on every facet of, of society and the global system including the coming food shortages, which they've been working on for 16 years in one think tank alone. But there's an article they put out to, to, to get the message over to America, and it's called Partners in Preventative Action. It's about the submerging of the U.S. into the global society, which it helped create. And they use terms in it like unipolar movement. That's when the U.S. was on its own, basically, with the power and might to, to stay independent. It says it's over, they say here in this article. Is truly passed. In other words, it's dead. And then you go on to the fact that we're completely global now uh, with a free uh, flow of goods, people, uh, everything else across borders. But then they also go on to, to promote the, the U.S. turning towards institutions now, like themselves, of course, which have already been running the show. But international institutions, United Nations and regional organizations like the European Union, all these trading blocks that Karl Marx talked about setting up, you see, which they've already done. They've got them across the whole world now, Southeastern Asian Nations uh, Association, the African Union, all these different ones. So if they turn to these organizations now, uh, because you can't be sovereign anymore, the world's too complex, you see, and you've got cybercrime and you've got, you've got climate change problems and all this nonsense, and um, so you can't go it alone. That's the message. You can't go it alone, and America will have to not only merge into all of these organizations for advice, but they'll also have to forgo basically sovereignty when you understand what they're actually saying. So I'll put this link up tonight too as a whole, there's a the short version and there's a full version, uh, so you can download whichever you want to, but I'll put the links up tonight at cuttingthroughmatrix.com.
Now, I mentioned before, come hell or high water, uh, they're not going to do away with the carbon nonsense to do with global warming and, and carbon outputs and, and associated with global warming. It's not going to happen. If God himself came down, uh, they'd have to kill him. because, uh, And they would try, because once they have something on their books, they never change it. They never change it. And they have so many organizations out there, all this this pyramid is truly a pyramid structure of, of organization and different levels and layers of specialities from national levels, international, right down to local levels, that they, they can simply start implementing carbon trading on the local level. And that's what they're doing in Canada, uh, because Canada, of course, is pulled out of the Kyoto Treaty. So, that, And I'm sure the Prime Minister would already know this, this is how they're going to take over and do it instead. But anyway, it says... Um, Environment Minister Pierre Arcand announces the cap and trade greenhouse gas trading program on December 15, 2011. But also, uh, the Quebec's most energy intensive companies will soon be forced to reduce greenhouse gas emissions through a cap and trade system. And it says Environment Minister Pierre Arcand announced that 75 companies which annually produce more than 25,000 tons of greenhouse gases will have the new regime imposed on them as of January 1, 2013. We just want to reduce greenhouse gases in the most flexible and efficient way, said Arcand. The program will affect, affect mostly aluminium or aluminum smelters, mines, cement factories in Hydro-Quebec. The companies that will initially be part will be urged to emit less than 25,000 tonnes of greenhouse gases each year. If not, they will need to buy carbon offset credits. There you go. You thought it was all dead. That's, uh, never, they'll never do away with this. Not when Rothschild set up the major bank, his private uh, family bank in Switzerland, where all these carbon credits must be funneled through. Uh, too much money at stake here, much power. Money is power, you see, over politics. The government is setting the initial price for a ton of carbon emission at $10. $10 for a lot of nothings, eh? Somebody squiggles up on a bit of paper with a pencil. Not a bad deal, eh? Money for nothing. So uh, they're going ahead. Plus, other provinces, are, I've mentioned these before in the past too, they've made deals with some of the U.S. states, especially along the borders, to, to continue this regardless. And they, were, they were, had this all set up before this last uh, so-called climate conference in Durban. So nothing changes. It just goes ahead in a different fashion. And... Also, an interesting little article here. I was talking yesterday about the corruption in governments and how it's really in your face now. Uh, they get slaps on the wrists, the big boys at the top, even when they embezzle money and everything else. And then they're, they're still in the same positions and carrying on, going up the, the ladder to success. But uh, it's, it's, a, it's the, the flagrant uh, attitudes that they have now. Uh, it's in your face that really gets some people ticked off. Most folk don't really care. But... Um, this is the Defence Minister in Canada, Peter Mackay, and it says, uh, The Canadian Taxpayers' Federation aimed a broadside at Defence Minister, that's a politician appointed over Defence, Peter Mackay on Thursday, accusing him of living like a king while attending conferences in Europe. The watchdog group said it used access to information requests and cover hotel bills. This showed the minister spent $1,452 a night for a two-night stay at a luxury hotel in Munich. Mind you, there's a lot in there. They're not telling you what you get along with this particular hotel. And $770 a night for three nights in Istanbul, Turkey. 
Gregory Thomas, National Director of the Taxpayers Group, says the bills go beyond what most people would consider reasonable. But it's not only that. He's, he's also using the Canadian military helicopters to pick him up at his golf course and, and, and drop him off. I mean, it's just a... As I say, it's blatant in your face. You know, this is this is what they do with your tax money. As they tell you that tough times are here, it's going to get worse and tighten your belts. You know, how can you have confidence in anything when when you have characters like this blowing your money, living living, living like kings? You can't do it. See? But that's how it is across the world. Every country has got the same problems with the same kind of characters because the psychopaths get up there. You see. And, and actually, the, the, the general public so corrupt themselves, I think, maybe on pettier levels, that we accept corruption. And it's always been said, even from ancient times, that the public will only stand the corruption at the top from the corruption they're used to in their daily lives. If it's way beyond your normal corrupt uh, nature, uh, then you'll do something about it. So it, it tells you something about society in general. And... To do with uh, this article here, chemical weapons. Chemical weapons countermeasures are deployed around the U.S. It's kind of a strange article. The U.S. government has deployed roughly 2,000 containers filled with nerve agent countermeasures around the country. I wonder if it's actually nerve agents themselves. What do you mean nerve agent countermeasures around the country? The Independence, Minnesota Examiner reported Saturday. It says, the CAMPAC program operated by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is intended to ensure that state and local emergency agencies have immediate access to antidotes in the event of a terrorist attack involving potentially lethal chemical warfare agents such as sarin or VX. The defense materials would bridge the time gap between the incident and the delivery of countermeasures from the U.S. strategic national stockpile. I don't know if you ever saw the movie called V, you know, and it was about a sort of revolution in Britain. But it, uh, a bunch of tyrants took over because they killed a whole bunch of people using viruses or something to let loose in the public. But they blamed this, this vague them, the enemy, uh, the terrorists out there. And, and, and the reason that they had to take over and be totalitarian was to defend the public against the terrorists. Never, ever dismiss these things when you see them. Because this could be the same kind of scenario they're going to set up. And believe you me, whatever it takes, the end justifies the means as far as these guys at the top are concerned. And I really mean that. I really, really mean that. Scary articles, really. And there's always more to them than what they tell us, of course. We're so liberated now, I guess, and I guess there's so many wealthy people of uh, certain persuasions that have now launched uh, a come-fly-with-me-he-she-tie-carrier, PC-air. It says, fasten your seatbelts. It's a Thai airline that hired transsexuals as flight attendants to set itself apart from competitors has taken to the skies. This is the, this is the length you go to now, eh? To, to set yourself apart and be noticed. So they hired transsexuals. The PC Air, a new charter airline that plans to fly routes across Asia, originally set out to hire only male and female flight attendants, but it changed its mind after receiving more than 100 job applications from transvestites and transsexuals. Uh, so they've chosen four initially, along with 19 male and seven male flight attendants. And then it names them all. They're very proud of all. And they call them lady boys. These flight attendants, lady boys. Uh, and uh, it describes them and their outfits and all the rest of it. It says, um, during the interview process, the airline said that the qualifications for the lady boy flight attendants 
were the same as for female flight attendants, uh, with additional provisos that they be like women in how they'd walk and talk and have a feminine voice and the right attitude. I wonder what the right attitude happens to be. Hmm? It says, though there is very little discrimination against ladyboys in Thailand, they're not officially recognized as women, and their identification, identification cards will always say male. Known as katoys, or ladyboys, transgenders, and transsexuals have greater visibility in Thailand than in many other nations holding mainstream jobs in a variety of fields. Actually, Thailand's been so incredibly exploited by the West's uh, pervs for so long that, that that's when the biggest business is over there. It's been a it's been a place to go for all pervs of all persuasions, and there's no underage anything there either. I remember watching a documentary and all these poor little girls. But 13 and under all had AIDS. They were all being prostituted by the rich fatsos of the West. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix, and earlier on John Stadmiller's show I mentioned how we're trained, uh, generation by generation, into where our mindset will be and culture will be down the road. And at the moment, of course, we've all been trained into no privacy, and the youngsters actually think that's a good thing. They, they have no idea what privacy is, they don't mind having none, and it's all fun, isn't it, they think. Uh, at the moment, but uh, they'll regret it later on, of course, but uh, this is all the training that they've had for such a long time that their whole young lives, in fact, has been who needs it, who needs it it's nice to know what so-and-so is up to and what their kinks are and all the rest of it but this article here shows the, the next step, it says creepy but beautiful it's interesting, I noticed the same headlines in every newspaper, so it's a handout really to all the media uh, probably from uh, Facebook itself this is mixed reaction to Facebook's latest changes as it delves into your past with the most radical new look yet. And it up, the update fills in life pre-Facebook, automatically replaces old profile, month-by-month month view, gives profiles a magazine feel of oh, marketing. Eh? Users given seven days to edit their past before the site publishes it, and the timeline is opt-in now, but it will be compulsory, it says. They can hardly speak, these people, you know, timelines opt in now, but it, but will be compulsory. What will be compulsory? Anyway, it says, um, it's come under fire in recent months for becoming ever more intrusive into the lives of people who use it. However, Facebook's most revamping, uh, revealing revamp yet will unveil the lives of its millions of users like never before as it delves into people's histories and publishes the information in a magazine-style format. What they do is they gather all the data that you have from all your emails and so on, and you put it up in and the public domain. The internet, as far as you're concerned, is public domain. If they can snatch it out the ether, they'll do it and use it, and all your exchanges of emails and texting and all the rest of it. And they, they fill it in for you, you see. Mixed Reaction has met the social network site's impressive new revamp, with some labeling it as creepy but beautiful. What a marketing ploy, the term. Eh? You, know, you know darn well they wrote this themselves. And others, crit- critics raising concerns about privacy. Facebook's new timeline feature, a new deeper profile, which allows you to fill in more of your life pre-Facebook. Is that, is that like life before, you know, before you were born or something, a previous life? It was announced with some fanfare in September. And it says, 
When you upgrade to timeline, you'll have seven days to review everything before people can see it. And starting today, the timeline is now available everywhere. So this is at the present, the new look is voluntary, but a company spokesman said it will become compulsory in a few weeks. Why is a private company? You think it's private, don't you? Why is a private company working with all the NSA and all the rest of the agencies? Zuckerman's just a front man for them, including his history. But anyway, uh, this is how they, they do it, and they get everybody in on it. Right? It says, paid content described the makeover as creepy but beautiful, adding, Facebook appears to have gained at least a minor awareness of how intrusive the site can feel. <laughs> so you get a week. If you're on holiday, tough luck, because you'll have your whole life up there, be it right or wrong or indifferent, and it's your own fault for using it. Now, we've all heard about hedge funds, and it's beyond most people's imaginations how hedge funds and all these various things work, because you've got to have um, the minds of the bankers who, who don't think in a linear fashion to get your mind around how you can profit off other somebody else's losses and stuff, like even countries going down and becoming insolvent. But it's his founder of a $30 billion hedge fund called Bluecrest says most euro banks are insolvent. Uh, the euro situation is much worse than 2008. Well, no wonder they've been bailing each other out for the last couple of years, and it's never enough, and all the money just disappears into some black hole, which is better than money heaven. Maybe the black hole money heaven is connected. Maybe that's where the black hole goes to. Eh? Somebody, somebody's got the keys to it, though. The, found, the, the founder of one of the world's largest asset managers, uh, it's the Bluecrest, uh, Michael Platt, spoke to Bloomberg TV and cut right to the chase, saying most of the banks in Europe are insolvent in the situation the region is completely unstable. On how he approaches market risk, he says, I do not take any exposure to banks at all. If I can avoid it, all the money at Bluecrest Capital Management is in two-year U.S. government debt, two-year German debt. We have segregated accounts with all our counterparties. We're absolutely concerned about the credit quality of the counterparties. So then they go through all their usual money spiel that you've got to be born and brought up with. And uh, and basically, they're telling us nothing that we don't know because money's made out of thin air in the first place. That's all you'd have to really know. <laughs> and Moody's is interesting too along the same theme. Moody's is definitely in a bad mood because it turned to Canada now. It's turned its sights to Canada. It's amazing how some some private organization can 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 affect your investments or downgrade you, etc. Uh, like Standard and Poor, you know, their job is to standardize everything and make you poor. And, and Moody just puts you on a bad mood with inflation. But it turns to Canada, Ontario outlook revised to negative, it says, softening economic outlook cited. And uh, it says, and so the focus shifts to the quietest neighborhood on the block. The negative Moody's outlook on the province of Ontario reflects a softening economic outlook outlook. Ontario's growing debt burden and extended time frame to achieving a balanced budget. I don't know anybody's ever balanced a budget in my life, actually. What's next? It says someone dares to question the stability of Canadian banks, which, as it turns out, it may have a few hundred billion in hyper-rehypo assets, such as the Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce, which has repledged $72 billion in client assets. The Royal Bank of Canada repledged $553.8 billion of $126.7 billion available for repledging and pledged here and there and there and so on. Ad infinitum, it says here, because they're all at the same game, you see. Back with more after the spread.
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watts and we're cutting through the matrix. Some months ago I read an article on the air, uh, I think from the UK, where uh, some of these big clubs they have over there, uh, community clubs with all booze and get really, really drunk, uh, had displays of their own children locked up in cages, naked, maybe two, three, four years old, and they're supposed to punch each other to see who would win, and they're all laughing and, and squelching their beer and spilling it all over the place and thought it was a great thing to watch, you see, as we go down the tubes culturally. And, of course, all this stuff came from the culture industry because the futuristic movies they were showing us years ago uh, with the steroid guys going into cages to kickbox and all the rest of it, that's where all this stuff comes from, and, and the monkeys copy it, unfortunately. And that most folk are monkeys, in a sense. We monkey see, monkey do, and, and we copy fashion, everything, behavior, you name it, we copy it. And uh, the culture industry is well aware of that. They're the culture creators, and they actually refer to themselves in Hollywood as the culture creators, not just the industry, but the creators, and we follow. But I mentioned, too, how uh, intergenerational sex is the theme that had in 2001 at the International Association of Censors when they met together from all the countries to push the envelope to the next step. And they said bestiality and intergenerational sex would be the next step they would have to push now that they'd won the battles for homosexuality, lesbianism, and all kinds of in-betweens. So it's amazing how these dynamics, and they are dynamic movements that, that filter through down into the population, eventually show themselves in reality. They're real, real forces, you understand, and they eventually filter down and, and you'll see them pop up here and there. Principal apologizes after shocking video shows blindfolded students at school, uh, this was a, a lead on by the school, making out with their parents in a high school prank. It's called a prank, you see. And they were told to expect a kiss from someone special. But the joke was on teenagers at Rosemount High School when the mystery lips locks uh, they suspected came from their classmates were actually from their parents. As is now that the footage of the cringe-worthy pep rally prank has gone viral, John Wurstein says as a school principal, he owes an apology to everyone who was offended by the incestual display. And that's incest, of course. That's exactly what that is, incest. It says... Um, the Cary TV report says a prank for last week's assembly was planned by the staff. Well, it doesn't surprise me. So I read that articles here where staff had the lap dances to show the students. They've done it themselves, you know. Uh, the winter sports team captains were blindfolded as their mothers and fathers approached. A video posted on YouTube shows some of the kisses lasting several seconds, but also shows you them groping each other and, and rolling around the floor. Uh, so, I mean, this is what they do now for a laugh is incest, for those who don't understand what that is, and probably most won't really mind or care anymore. <laughs> I think we're so degenerate, to be honest with you. And as all this, this nonsense goes on, too, as we go down the tubes and we're easily ruled by totalitarian and tyrant rulers, Britain will provide up to 13,500 troops to protect next summer's London Olympics, more than it has in Afghanistan, after organizers said international uncertainty meant security for the event needed to be doubled. Imagine the cost of this, uh, just for a game. Remember what they said, too, in the League of Nations, when they came out with the Olympics before the United Nations, it says everything that that promoted internationalism uh, would have to go ahead, be really promoted from the top. 
So Defence Secretary Philip Hammond said the military support would provide backup for police and private staff already hired to secure the perimeters of the Olympic and Paralympic, it should be paramilitary, venues in what will be Britain's largest peacetime security operation. Military presence would also include special forces and specialist bomb disposal units as well as a 1,000-strong contingency force in the event of the Olympics-related civil emergency. Olympic Park in Stratford, East London, will be protected by missiles against airborne attack, isn't it? Oh, what a fun time, eh? In line with measures taken by Beijing in 2008 and Athens in 2004. Interesting, too, someone sent me some clips of a, a, an old movie. It was done uh, in the 90s, I think it was, and it had uh, Olympics Beijing with right date on it, too. Like, they don't know what's coming up ahead, eh? And who's who, what's, what's happening. Next year's Olympics and Paralympic Games are once-in-a-generation events for the UK, Hammond said in a statement. We want them to be secure so that all those competing and attending can enjoy the Games. Maybe they'll put, you know, maybe they'll have to dress them up in flak uh, costumes and helmets for, for doing racing and stuff, you know, or carry missiles with them, ear to, you know, uh, surface-to-ear missiles. Maybe that's what the next game will be when they fire missiles off to, and bring down planes and they get gold medals for it. This is a fun event. Huh? How they can train the cattle so easily, eh? And they'll all go, you know, and get padded down 10,000 times. They'll still go. Well, I, was, I went to the Olympics. Yeah. <laughs> it says, increased concern about international security after the Arab Spring uprisings uh, and other events had led to an increase in the budget for venue security to £553 million from the previous estimate of £282 million. Sports Minister Hugh Robertson said earlier this month, I don't think it's been an Olympic yet I've ever had that this even broken even. Uh, so they always leave the country in debt. This is before security uh, all started, and, and now after it, it's just got, well, the bankers will love it, won't they? So Britain had been a target for Islamist militants for many years as a leading ally of U.S. military action in Iraq and Afghanistan, and 52 people were killed in suicide bombings in the capital in 2005. But the government said in the July that terrorism threat level had been downgraded by one notch to substantial. This is just like Star Trek. Remember, they used to have red and yellow alerts and everything. That, that was to train us, you know, all, all the color-coding threat alerts. Do you think it's all real? Right? But what a what an incredible... Why not just cancel the damn games? You know? Why not do a virtual games would be cheaper and everybody would be safe sitting at home on their, on, their, on their behinds watching it and drinking beer? Hmm? Why not do it that way? I mean, it's meaningless anyway. Oxfam and all these front organizations, which are globalist in origin, always pretend they really care about people and they get write-ups when they want. Every paper will put the write-ups right in there. uh, They they always have alternate missions, basically. I always remember that communism was was, was a system run by fronts, thousands of fronts. Some of them even Christian fronts who didn't even know they'd gotten roped into it because they signed things that sounded awfully nice at the time. Are you for or against this? Oh, oh yeah, I'm for that. People should be allowed to do this, blah, blah, blah. And uh, they were signing up to communist front groups. Oxfam betraying its roots and sabotaging its own mission, it says. On its website, Oxfam reminds us that the name comes from the Oxford Committee for Famine Relief. Sounds awfully wonderful. Today it claims to work to find lasting solutions to poverty and injustice. So imagine surprise when I read on the WUWT that Oxfam is now pushing an international tax on maritime 
transport. That's all seagoing shipping. Now, why are private, this that article I was reading from the CFR, you have to turn to private institutions according to the United Nations for advice. Why is a charity pushing all of us into another tax? Hmm? And all maritime transport. It says, why the surprise? Well, such a tax would increase the price of all goods that are traded via shipping. First, it would add to the difficulties that many developing countries have in meeting their demand for food. In particular, a substantial share of the food consumed in developing countries is imported. In least developing countries, cereals account for 57% of the calories consumed, but net imports of the cereals amount to over 15% of domestic production. It says, in Africa, cereals account for 50% of food calories consumed, but net imports amount to 41% of indigenous production. Thus, even a small increase in the price of imported crops would push many who are already living on the margin in these areas into poverty and hunger. The UN Food and Agriculture Organization estimates that 925 million people suffer from chronic hunger worldwide, and I think those numbers would seem to be an antithetical to the purpose of the Oxford Committee on Famine Relief. Second, a tax that would increase the price of traded goods would reduce trade and, with that, economic growth. Well, actually, they don't want economic growth in some of these countries, especially in Africa. They don't actually want social growth, you might say. And that's why, too, they're using the carbon taxes and so on and the sustainable uh, power generators and, and stuff in Africa. They, they, they don't want them coming up as a power, an industrial power. That's, they mustn't do that. They've already said that in their own writings. But there you go. There's Oxfam pushing for a tax. And no one questions, well, what gives? did you vote Oxfam in? Do they have the right to, 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 to push for a tax on you? Of course they don't. None of these organizations do, but they are pushing. They all push because they're all connected with each other for a different agenda, you see. That's why. Now, an article here, too, was to do with, um, from the BBC, it says, to do with water. Uh, Banks stand to lose millions of dollars in debt repayments if the biggest municipal bankruptcy in American history is allowed to proceed. But the real victims of the financial collapse in the U.S. state of Alabama's most populous county are its poorest residents, forced to bathe in bottled water and use portable toilets that have been cut off from the main supply. This is in America. This is stuff you used to read in, but in India and parts of Africa. This is in America. And I've told you, you know, the big boys, the privatization of water supplies, all that stuff, you know, this is how they can control all of you. It says, and there's widespread anger in Jefferson County that uh, swinging sewerage rate hikes could have been avoided, but for the greed, corruption, and incompetence of local politicians, well, what's new, eh? Government officials and Wall Street financiers. Tommy, uh, says, Tammy Lucas is the human face of a financial and political scandal that's brought one of the most deprived communities in America south to the point of what some local people believe is collapse. She says, if the sewer bills get any higher, my lights might get cut off. And if I try to catch up the lights, that's our payments, my water might get cut off. So we're in between. We can't make it like this. Well, welcome to austerity, folks. But no one cares because you see, well, you're not down there you know, yet. Eh? This is Mrs. Lucas' monthly sewage rate bills, the amount levied by the county to flush away waste and provide water for baths and showers, has quadrupled 
quadrupled in the past 15 years. She says it's currently running $150 a month, which leaves little left out of her $600 Social Security check for food and electricity. We need to keep the water running because we're women, she says. We need, we need to take baths. I try to pay the sewer bills and water bills together, and then what little I got left, I try to put on the lights. I got to have lights. It's just outrageous. So, as I say, here's the third world story from America. And this is the new America that's now global, as I mentioned at the beginning of the broadcast. And the, the Council on Foreign Relations is telling you that you can't go on your own anymore. Remember the new feudal system that Carl Quigley talked about? He said the new feudal overlords who will own all resources, everything, uh, will be the CEOs of corporations, private corporations. That was the agenda, and it is the agenda, and it's into fruition now, folks. As the U.S. still spends its tax money uh, and its forces abroad, uh, grabbing the last of the resources, not for America, not for America, but for the big private corporations that are going to wash you down the toilet for a fee. Now, Russia, again, Russia kept out of the World Trade Organization for quite some time, but now it's uh, joined, it's officially joined. Now, the World Trade Organization is a private institution set up again at the behest of the Trilateral Commission and the Council on Foreign Relations. And the idea for the World Trade Organization was to decide which of their crony pals and big international corporations would get to use free trade and who would be disallowed from entering into it. It's not for the ordinary person, it's for the big boys at the top, the big corrupt boys that own the banks, own all these big corporations as well, if you didn't know that. And it was also too to make sure that when you sign agreements, you write agreements and, and sign treaties for free trade, with a particular country like China, uh, they'll still have China class as a third world country who can apply tariffs to all imported uh, items from your country, but you can't apply tariffs from imports on them. In fact, you have to pay money out to them because you have to build hospitals and electric dams, hydroelectric dams and nuclear power plants for them, for your tax money for those, all through the World Trade Organization. So Russia's family joined it. A ceremony in Switzerland on Friday. Switzerland has always been a big player. That Red Cross is very symbolic, folks. Uh, so they joined on Friday after 18 years of negotiating its membership. The Swiss brokered a deal between Russia and Georgia earlier this year that removed the last obstacle to Russia's accession. Georgia has tried to block Russia's WTO entry since the two countries fought a, a short war in 2008. Russia was by far the biggest economy yet to join the global trade body. It's also the last member of the group of 20 major economies to join after China gained membership in 2001. The 153-member WTO provides a forum for international trade liberalization, they call it, liberalization agreements, as it's all rigged and fixed, which it, poli- which it polices, deciding when rules have been breached and when retaliatory trade sanctions can be imposed. WTO's big mission member two for the Council on Foreign Relations has never changed. Everyone must come into the free trade market, we like it or not, and if you want to join them and all of, and get a central bank in two that belongs to them, if you want to join them, they'll stop you trading with anybody else. There's pure blackmail for you. 
says the removal of trade barriers is likely to stimulate greater and more diversified trade between Russia and the rest of the world. So Russia can start, just like Canada, exporting all of its natural resources because it ain't got much else to sell you know, or to trade with. All the factories have gone here. Maybe they've got something left in Russia, I don't know. And as always, you know, when troops pull out of an area and the propagandists uh, aren't watching them, uh, they, just like the, you understand, during World War II, the Germans had Gestapo officers uh, with every unit and on submarines and on the air bases. And Soviet Union, they had also members of uh, the KGB att- attached to the same uh, outfits. And, and America and Britain and elsewhere, they have their own special Stasi-type officers um, to keep people from talking to reporters, like troops, for instance, and, and mentioning something they don't want the public to know. Secret papers shed light on killings as the troops pull out. At Baghdad, one by one, the Marines sat down, swore to tell the truth, and began to give secret interviews discussing one of the most horrific episodes of America's time, <coughs> time in Iraq. It's the 2005 massacre by Marines of Iraqi civilians in the town of Haditha. One says, I mean, whether it's a result of her action or other action, you know, discovering 20 bodies, throats slit, 20 bodies, you know, beheaded, 20 bodies here, 20 bodies there. Colonel Thomas Carriker, a commander in Anbar province at the time, told investigators as he described the chaos of Iraq. At times, he said deaths were caused by grenade attacks on a checkpoint and, you know, collateral with civilians. We're all collateral. It's true we're economic units. You know, if we can't uh, produce for elites, uh, they don't care what happens to us. They'd rather have us, have us blown up. This is the 400 pages of interrogations, once closely guarded as secrets of war, were supposed to have been destroyed as the last U.S. troops prepared to leave Iraq. Instead, they were discovered with reams of other classified documents, including military maps showing helicopter routes and radar capabilities, etc., etc., in a junkyard outside Baghdad. Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're back. This is Cutting Through the Matrix and we'll go to a caller. There's Tom from Wisconsin been hanging on the line here. Are you there, Tom? Yeah, I'm here, Alan. Um, I uh, wanted to share two very important pieces of information with your listeners and you tonight for you to examine. This gentleman actually lays out uh, the whole complexity of identification and, and what and who we actually are when we run around and say that I am who I am. I am this driver's license, or I am who I am in this passport, or I am who I am on the Social Security card, or the birth certificate, or the various documents that are issued by the, the government. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, if, if people can't understand this, then they are truly the walking dead, as, as it says in the Bible. Um, yeah. And the other information that I wanted to share as well is there's also another channel on YouTube that clearly shows the media manipulation through the television, and uh, you will be able to watch videos. And he, he gets into some things where you're kind of like, what? Like, really? It's kind of a stretch. But when you talk about the actual presentation of news on the television, what he shows the people who you view his channel is is very clear evidence of um, of manipulation and, and, and the staging of events. And I'll give you one clear example real quick because I know we're running out of time. Uh, you remember the, the kettling in New York of the women that got pepper sprayed? Yeah. You remember seeing that? Mm-hmm. Well, and they don't show the whole video ever. 
in the mainstream media, including Russia Today. But he shows the, the uncut video, and it actually shows a provocateur lifting up her hand and gesturing like a spray motion, like mm -hmm. you would spray a small bottle. Yeah. And then shortly after that, in comes the pepper spray. Mm -hmm. And he links it to, uh, it, I mean, it, 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 he calls it a conspiracy, and he makes some very clear points about it. But I really just wanted to share that with you and your listeners, because as we find this information that reveals the truth, we must share it with each other. Because if we don't, then our chances of surviving through whatever's coming and living on through our, progeny, uh, our progeny is uh, mm -hmm. slim to none. But the, you know, the answer really is simply not to watch television at all, because it's, it's only the purpose is to uh, indoctrinate you and, and uh, propagandize and get everyone fighting everyone else internally. That way you, you don't look towards the government, you're too busy fighting each other. Uh, and, and it's so true, uh, the TV has destroyed all the culture, has taken everything down. Uh, it's, it's so easy to spin anything on television, as you say, by omission of part of a clip or whatever. And sometimes the government will use it itself. They used that with Tomlinson in, in London uh, during the G20 meeting, where they, he was supposed to fall down dead in the heart. And then, of course, the, the full thing came out and showed you the cops whacking him with batons and the whole bit and stomping all over him. Uh, so it's so easy, as I say, and the media is a big part of... See, government and media go together. It's an important part of governance, as they say at the top. You can't do it without the media. And uh, the media has always been in bed with government. And, of course, government is staffed by CFR members, and so is the media. So it's no surprise at all, is it? Yeah. No, well, it's not. But, but what I was pointing out is that, that people can go and view this channel, and they can see very clear evidence, and, and they can finally break their conditioning if, if they choose to with the evidence that's very obvious that, that so many of these events that are meant to get us all riled up are actually very much staged. Most of the time. Oh, I, I, yeah, absolutely. I can remember even, even with the supposed stuff long years ago before the Twin Towers, they were staging stuff, uh, cameramen over in Iraq were staging stuff, get hiring youngsters to appear to be burning a, a U.S. flag. They couldn't afford a U.S. flag, never mind see one before, but it was all to get the stuff going in our, our minds that they're bad guys. And they're getting paid for by the, comp the TV companies to do all this stuff. So you can't believe a darn thing on television. It's all propaganda, but thanks for calling. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night, me or God or your God, school with you.